Okay, good morning, everybody. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Reese Neeland, and I'm one of the ministers here. And if you were here last week, maybe for the first time, I was not here. Some of you may be aware I was deathly ill. I don't know if you've heard, but there's this flu going around. And I don't know if you've had it, but if you have, it's really bad. You almost wish you were dead. It's really bad. But, you know, I got better this week, and um, we had a Miss Valentine's Day, at least the celebration of it, because I wasn't doing well. And, and so we, we had our Valentine's Day celebration this week. And so Mary Kay and I went to dinner, and we went to see Black Panther. And so I just felt like I was a lot, I just, I, I felt like I received power when I went to see that. And uh, so, you know, you do this and, you know, uh, try it. It worked for me. So anyway, here I am. Glad to be back today and uh, excited about continuing this series. This is the second of seven lessons we're doing on the basics of Christianity. And the first lesson we did was called Eyes on the Road, and really the point is that nothing you can do will stop God from loving you. And so that lesson is online. If you haven't heard it yet, I encourage you to go there. Eyes on the Road is the name of it. It's a great place to start to understand that no matter what's going on in your life, and no matter what has happened or will happen, God is going to love you just the same. You cannot stop Him from loving you. So we're going to follow up that today, and I'll go ahead and turn over to Mark chapter 7. If you have a Bible, we'll put the scripture up in just a few minutes that we're going to read for our text today. I think today is uh, perhaps going to be equally compelling. So I want to start with a question. Have you ever been in a church or part of a church with man-made rules? A lot of us have experienced that, haven't we? In fact, I would say if you've been a churchgoer and you have any amount of time, then perhaps you've already experienced that. Uh, interesting enough, the church that I grew up going to had some, uh, some man-made rules. One of those rules was that you were not allowed to have any instrumental music in the worship. Yeah, no, shocking, huh? Uh, another rule was that you were not allowed to dance. And I'm just not talking about at church. You were not allowed to dance anytime. And uh, there was a saying that we had in that church that I grew up in. Some of you know what I'm talking about. The, the praying knee and the dancing foot do not go on the same leg. And so there you go. You've, you've experienced what you, you say. Well, that's, that's really, really surprising maybe. Uh, we also had a no drinking rule. Alcohol, of course. I mean, water, Coca-Cola, we're mostly okay. But there's a no alcohol rule, and this is all in spite of the fact that the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, has many examples of God's people using instrumental music, dancing, and drinking alcohol. But those were the rules. Later on, I was part of a church where the leader of the church proclaimed that because of his position, he had a special authority and a special connection with God so that 
whatever his opinions were or whatever advice that he would give on any situation was equal in significance to the word of God. And that if you did not obey the advice that you were given or the opinion that was expressed, then you were in sin and your salvation was in jeopardy. So I've been a part of that church as well. Well, that's not, uh, that's not where we want to be today. Let's look over in Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. And here we have a great story that I think is a fantastic place to start today as we talk about the second of our basic principles about true Christianity. And this is a story during the ministry of Jesus that involves some guys they're uh, called in the story the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. You don't need to understand all of what that means, but they were the most respected spiritual religious leaders among the Jews of that day. And so Jesus is, uh, has a conversation with them, and as the story goes, Mark chapter 7, verse 1, I guess we're going to put it on the screen, huh? You can read along there as well. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they came from the marketplace, when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah, and Isaiah was a prophet who wrote a part of what we call the Old Testament part of the Bible. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. And here's the crescendo. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the tradition of men. And we'll stop there. And uh, there's more to the story there, but I think we got the gist of it. Jesus' response, and, and so it's important to understand how Jesus feels about what's going on here. Now, I want to make it clear, if it isn't already clear to you, it's not a bad idea to wash your hands before you eat. In fact, it's highly recommended. And most of us have that habit, don't we? And now more than ever. And now everywhere you go, there's Purell there waiting for you. And there's an opportunity to, to clean your hands and to disinfect yourself. And, you know, I go to the gym and work out and they expect me to wipe down the machine before I get on it and then they expect me even more so to wipe down the machine after I get off of it and you know we do all this and that's all good and it's good to be sanitary and I will say this all of our efforts don't seem to be helping us get any less sick but anyway uh, that's a good idea 
But this has nothing to do with just good hygiene. What had happened was, and you can go back in Exodus chapter 30 if you're really interested in looking at it, but in the Old Testament, the, uh, previously, the Jews had been commanded by God that the priest, before they would appear before God, need to do a ceremonial washing of their hands. And it was symbolic of the fact that they needed to cleanse themselves before they came into the presence of God. And that makes sense, right? It's a lot like communion. We just took communion, and if you're new here, maybe you don't understand communion. But this is something that we do every Sunday. It's symbolic. We, represent, we take the bread that represents the body of Christ that was, uh, you know, that was crucified, his body that was crucified, and the blood, the, the fruit of the vine represents the blood of Jesus that was shed. And so it's all symbolic. And so this was a thing in the Old Testament. But what had happened over thousands, hundreds of years now, is the Jews had said, well, they had added to that, and they go, okay, well, if maybe this ceremonial washing of hands is good, not just for the priests, but for everybody. And maybe it's not just when you come into the presence of God. Maybe anytime you do something as even as significant as eating a meal, you should do this ceremonial cleansing of hands. And then, they, you know, they had the things with the, the pots and the kettles and all that, and it wasn't necessarily bad, except for the fact that they made this rule of man, they made these things equal to the commands of God. And in fact, they said that anybody who did not obey these things would be sinning. And so they challenged Jesus about his followers, says they're here, they're disciples, that just means they're followers of Jesus, because they didn't do the whole washing of hands things. And so it's very interesting are you surprised by Jesus' response? Jesus is upset. Jesus is angry. Well, that may not fit your picture of who Jesus is. But I want you to understand that Jesus, there were times, and this is not the only one, where Jesus was angry. And I noticed that in those times of his anger, there were two things that Jesus most often, it seems to me, got angry about. He got angry when God was dishonored, and he got angry when people were not loved. And in this situation, I believe both of those happened. Jesus was defending his followers because they were being condemned. They were being put down. They were being called unrighteous. They were being called sinners. They were not being loved. And the other thing that got Jesus upset was he said, you by your actions, have dishonored the word of God. And in some accounts, it says that your actions, you have nullified the word of God. You have let go of the commands of God. Jesus' response is blistering. It is scathing. It is unmistakable where he stands on this. He says, for those who would follow God, for those who would follow me, we must hold on to the word of God and let go of the traditions of men. Instead, he says, you have let go of the commands of God. I don't know uh, how much you know about the Bible, but I would say, and I 
sure that many of you might agree, it is a remarkable book. It is a wonderful book. It is a book unlike any other that has ever been written or ever been read. It actually is, uh, is not even necessarily a book. I don't know if you recognize this. If you don't know, you might guess. This is a Bible I'm holding. The Bible is actually a collection of 66 different historical documents written beginning about 1500 B.C. And 39 of those books we call the Old Testament, and they were written before the time of Jesus. And the last 27 we call the New Testament, which starts with the Jesus and his ministry and immediately afterwards. And so over 40 different authors wrote in three different languages over a 1600-year period. And it's a remarkable collection of books about God. And what's unusual is, though it was written by men, they consistently claimed that what they were writing was not just their own ideas or their opinions, but they were giving people, by God's plan, by God's power, the message of God. The Word of God. And so that may be something that you already have believed, and maybe you've believed that for many years. Uh, maybe you don't. It's okay. I actually think if you have any doubts about the Bible and whether it really is God's message for us, I think that's you should examine that. I think all of us should know why we believe that. There's actually very compelling evidence for the Bible being not just a book, another book written by men or another collection of books written by men. It is verified and supported by science, geography, history, archaeology. There's many great prophets. There's many reasons, compelling reasons, to believe the Bible is the Word of God. I recently finished a little uh, study that I did called Trusting the Bible. And so if you have any doubts about that, or if you know somebody that has doubts about that, let me know and I'll pass on my little study to you that I believe could be helpful. Because there are reasons why we should, and there's reasons why we do believe the Bible is the Word of God. And so if you have any questions, research that. But if you've read the Bible much, then you know that many of us Many people have found the most powerful evidence for the Bible being the Word of God is in reading what it says. There's something about reading it when you read the Bible is that you just sort of, in your inherently, many of us understand this could not have been written by a man, by just men. This could not have been written, these were not man's own ideas. There's something more than that. It doesn't read like a book written by men. There's a wisdom there, and there's an ability that it has to touch the heart. There's an ability it has that it, to inspire us, and it gives answers for life, and it's practical and helpful, and it's universal, even though the newest parts of the Bible were written over 2,000 years ago. Do you know that? Yet still, here we are in another culture at another time, and the principles of God's Word still are true and still are meaningful and still are helpful for us today, and they will be helpful until the end of time. That's what's special 
something special about a book that was from God. And I think there's a certain logic and reason that's very powerful. You know, the last lesson that we did, the first lesson, the, 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 the most important basic principles is that there's nothing you can do that will stop God from loving you. If God loves us, and if God sent Jesus to show us who he is, and if God sent Jesus to die on the cross for us, wouldn't you expect that he would live a, leave us something written that we could appreciate and understand and know so that we would have the truth about God and about Jesus? Wouldn't that make sense to you? Would he be a loving God if he didn't do that? And the other thing that I think all of us should appreciate is that God, in his wisdom, chose to write it down for us. Now, that's pretty important if you think about it. Some of us uh, actually have presented that at different times and say, you know, why can't God just speak to me directly? You know, you want a phone call and he's already given you a letter. But it's good that it's written down. And if you think about it just for a moment, it should be pretty clear. You know why? Because we are forgetful. And we're often confused. At least that's what my wife keeps telling me. My wife has learned that if she really wants me to get something, if she really wants me to do something, she needs to write it down. And she needs to be very specific. And she needs to be very careful. I like to say if, I'm, uh, if she's fixing a dinner for me and she's not going to be there, she leaves me very careful instructions about how to access my food. And usually there's a list of instructions. And the first one is turn and face stove. So you start there. And see, this is why we have, it's such a blessing that we need to be grateful for. That no matter how long we live, and, and, and I'm sure maybe some of you are like me, as time passes, I forget more and I am more easily confused than I've ever been. Has that happened to you yet, Tom? It has. Thank you for your humility. But, you know, I mean, I forget stuff all the time. And what's even worse is, I think I remembered it, but I remembered it incorrectly. And so I'm confident that, oh, I remember what was said. I remember what happened. And then there's some obvious proof presented to me, like a text that I sent or an email I received or a voicemail I left. And I go, well... You know, I was very sincere about what I thought I remembered. But see, we can't trust our own memories. And that's why no matter what goes on, I'm so glad that God in his wisdom and his power and his love left us a written account of who he is how we can live to please him, how, what's right, what's wrong, what's sin, what isn't. He left us something that we can rely on. He left us something that we can trust in. 
So let's get back to our story here. Why is Jesus upset? Because when we ignore or minimize the word of God, we dishonor God himself. And here's the thing that we all need to accept. God doesn't need our help. The Bible doesn't need to be improved. The Bible doesn't need to be ignored. You know, there's many different uh, kind of churches today. Perhaps you've noticed that already, and maybe you know it, maybe you don't. There are a lot of churches that call themselves Christian, and they do not believe that the Bible is God's Word. There's other churches that you could go to, and they partially believe. They believe parts of the Bible are God's Word, and other parts of it are no longer accurate or needed or important. Did you know that? There are other churches that you could go to where they have added to the Bible. There are other churches that you could go through where they have subtracted from the Bible. Here's what I want you to understand if you're new here. We are not that church. We have decided to be a church that believes that the Bible is God's message of life for us. That everything we need to know and everything we need to understand can be found in the Bible. And so that's why it's even the second of our seven. You know, we started with the love of God, and now we're going to the Bible being the Word of God. And we're going to go on, and we're going to talk about what sin is, and we're going to talk about what it really means to be a Christian, and we're going to talk about how to be saved, and we're going to talk about what the church is, how important the church is, and what the church should be like. And we're going to talk about the cross and what the significance is of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. And we're going to talk about all that. But when we get to all that stuff and we talk about what really means to be a Christian, we're going to use the Bible and we're going to use the Bible only. It's all going to come out of here. How arrogant of us that we, mere human beings, so often feel like we know better than God knows. How arrogant when we decide that something that God's Word says is no longer important. How arrogant when we decide that we need to add to what God has left for us. Because somehow what he's done is insufficient. God doesn't need our help. And when you are a person or when you are a church that is not following God's word, you know what ends up happening? You end up following men. You end up being deceived about what's true and what's right about God. Essentially, many of us, and I did this for many years, I'm not proud of it, we make ourselves our own God. Because we decide that we know what's best, and we know how to live, and we know what we think God wants and what God doesn't want, and we justify and rationalize and we minimize and we ignore. 
We are not a perfect church. But if you're visiting this church, I want you to understand this clearly. We are and we will continue to make every effort to be a church of the Bible. And that what we live, how we live and what we believe is going to come directly from the inspired word of God. You know, I asked you a question in the beginning. Ever been to a church with man-made rules? There's a follow-up question to that. How would you know if you were? How would you know if you have been? There's only one way to know. You and I need to be people of God's word. And you don't need to do anything, and you don't need to believe anything, because I stood up here, or somebody who looks like me, or somebody who acts like me, and said that you should do it or believe it. You do it because God's word says to do it. not about men but too often it does become about men so the sermon title today is God's message for us and the main point I've already said it but I'll say it again because I don't want anybody to be confused the Bible is God's message for us the Bible is God's message of life for us. Let me share one more scripture with you. James chapter 1. I'm just going to read one verse. There are a lot of great scriptures about the significance, the importance, the power of God's word. This is one of my favorites. James 1 verse 25. And I don't know if you know the uh, story there. This is well, a short document written by James. He was actually the half-brother of Jesus. Interesting enough, he didn't initially believe that Jesus was the Son of God. I mean, you know, you could understand growing up in the same family, it's, you know, it's, it's hard to believe that what your brother or your sister is, is Jesus, you know. It's hard to believe that they might be the Messiah. And so James was a doubter, and so later on he, he became a believer, and that's a great ending of the story. But he wrote something that's uh, so significant, James 1, verse 25, and I believe it's on the screen as well. But the man, the woman, who looks intently, that means carefully, very deliberately, with an attitude to study, to examine, to understand the perfect law that gives freedom. This is not a man-made book written by men, but from God. That's why it's perfect. If you wrote it, it wouldn't be perfect. If I wrote it, it wouldn't be perfect. But it's from God. The perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it. That man, that woman 
will be blessed in what he does. There are many other scriptures like it, but I like this one particularly because it illustrates, it says something that I have found to be true. When I examine the scriptures, examine the Bible, and when I live by the Bible, it is a pathway to freedom and to blessing. God's not trying to hold out on us. Now, initially, I admit, many of us, maybe you read the Bible, initially it doesn't look like a place to find freedom. But that's because we have our own ideas about what freedom is, and we have our own ideas about what's best and how to best live, and God has to help us to understand that what we want or what we think we want is not what we really want, and what we need, think we need is not what we really need. And he's saying, in my wisdom and in my love, I've got a better plan for you than the one you have for yourself. And if you will just pay attention, follow, obey, live out my word, you're going to find freedom and you're going to find blessing. If you want to know how to make a difference with your life, the Bible will help you understand how to make a difference in your life. If you want to excel in any area of your life, whether it's your job or your, your, your marriage or your parenting or you just want to be the best you can be in anything in your life, the Bible will show you how to do that. You want to have great relationships. You want to connect with others. You want to have powerful friendships. The Bible will show you how to do that. It'll be a blessing for you. You want to make good choices. You want to know what to do as you go forward in your future. The Bible will tell you how to do that. It's from God. It's so compelling. I remember when I first started reading it back in my college days. It just grabbed me, and I, I think I read the whole New Testament in one week. Now, it helped that for the first time ever I, bought a, I, I got a translation of the Bible that I was actually able to read. I don't know if you need that yet, but back in the day, most people read the King James Version. And I didn't really get a lot out of that. But anyway, it helps to have a readable translation. But I read it, and I just couldn't put it down. It was speaking to my heart. It was showing me how to live. And all the decisions that I've made since then, when I've based them on the Word of God, they've worked out fantastic in my life. Just great. I have a new friend, John, who John and I have been getting together for, uh, well, since the beginning of the year. And so we get together and we talk and we share our lives and, you know, we're trying to be mutually encouraging each other. And so a lot of times, not every time, we, we talk about the Bible and we'll open the Bible and read something from the Bible. And, and so uh, just, a, I guess, just a couple of weeks ago, we got together and, and John brought his Bible and I didn't bring mine. And so uh, John said, so, Reese, you, you didn't bring your Bible today. And I go, well, you know, I just thought, you know, we'd just talk about life and, you know, I'd try to encourage you and uh, be helpful to you in areas of your life. And I, I didn't necessarily know that we needed to have a Bible study. And he, he looked at me. He was genuinely confused. He said, so but isn't it true that in any area of my life 
if I know what the Bible says about that, that that's going to be helpful to me? And I had to say, you know, that is a very good point. That's a very good point, John. And so uh, ever since then, I will, and, and, and from now until forever, I will always bring my Bible when I get with John. But we need to be reminded of that. So I want to ask uh, Chrissy Stephan to come up. And uh, she's going to share briefly as we close out our service here. I've known Christy since she was in college. And uh, she was, when we first started the Los Angeles Church and our campus ministry at USC, she was one of our very first conversions to Christ. And uh, we're not going to say how long ago that was. Well, I'm not going to say how long ago that was. Uh, I'll let you decide. But anyway, uh, Christy has been a, uh, a strong and faithful Christian for many years. And so uh, I want to ask her just to share briefly about sort of her story and how the Word of God has impacted her life. Christy Stepan. Um, okay, so my story in three minutes was brief. Uh, it might be a little two minutes longer. Okay, um, so thank you for letting me share. I honestly really, really love the Bible. I'm very grateful for how it has changed my life. Um, I think about before I studied the Bible, when I first knew Ruth Mary Kay, I was 19. And um, back in 89, you can do the math. So... Um, the, uh, I had a lot of opinions about the Bible, about God, about Christians, and they were all very negative. I had um, some Catholic background, Seventh-day Adventist, as well as atheist, so I kind of learned to mock religion. Um, but at one point, I was talking to my friend who had become a Christian and sort of sharing my negative thoughts about God, and if God's so great, then how come blah, 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 you know, one of those things. So, um, and she's like, that is so stupid. <laughs> And I realized that all of my opinions were not really based on anything I knew. It was just things that I had heard. Um, and she really challenged me to look into the Bible um, and shared her life and how the Bible had changed her life. I saw her joy. I saw her relationships. The purity she had in her life was something that I really desired but had no idea how to get there. It wasn't working doing it my way. And so it sort of opened my heart to thinking again about an, uh, giving God an opportunity in my heart. Um, so I sat down with uh, another woman to study the Bible, and the first question she asked was, well, do you want to study the Bible for head knowledge or for your heart? And, um, you know, I am kind of was very academic. I was taking four science classes at the time in a sophomore in college and loved it. And... Um, but I didn't want to tell her, you know, I just want to know, you know, I'm not going to really move my heart about it. But so, of course, I said both, you know, I got to look good. So, um, so, uh, but it challenged me to think, okay, if, if this is going to be for my heart, then I need to really take this seriously. I need to really think about it, invest in it. And she um, rec uh, recommended I start reading the book of John. So I started reading the book of John, and I, there were so many like, oh, oh, I get it now, you know, it's just kind of like these aha moments because I'd heard a lot of religious things, but I didn't really have any context of where it came from. So I started to read about Jesus and learn about Jesus. Um, and that was pretty powerful. Um, 
and I um, and I realized that you know the Bible. It's you know a lot of people say, oh, it's common sense and it's intuitive. You know, I kind of know, be a good person, all that kind of stuff. But you know, the Bible really isn't. It's not common sense. It's not intuitive. I'm pretty stubborn, and I had to really think. You know, do I trust God? Do I? Can I really, really trust these scriptures? Um, or am I going to trust myself? And there's one scripture that we studied, uh, John 8, 31, 32, um, that talks about, you know, uh, to the Jews who had believed in me, said, if you really hold to my teachings, you are my disciples, then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And I know that I was super confused about what truth was because I had so many different influences. And if I was going to really understand the truth, it wasn't a matter of just reading, but I had to do what it said. I had to make the decision that, Okay, if I want to see the truth at work, I have to trust it. I have to put it into practice. Um, and it wasn't about picking and choosing. And, you know, I would think about, um, you know, I don't know how many athletes are out there, but I like movies about coaches. I'm not an athlete, but I like movies about really amazing coaches. Um, and, uh, like, remember the Titans and uh, Glory Road, and I'm sure there's a bunch of other ones I can't remember at the moment. Um, but um, but I think about like like the coach sees much more than the players, but believes that they can take them to victory. And I think of God as like coaching us to a place of victory. But if I pick and choose from His direction, I'm not really going to see that victory. It's going to be sort of a halfway, um, you know, uh, representation of where He's trying to take me. And when I read about the fruit of the Spirit, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. That's the victory that God wants me to have, but I have to trust him. I have to totally put my heart in it. Um, so one other last thing I want to share is uh, there's a quote that uh, from, uh, maybe you've heard it or not, a famous person named Galileo. Um, and he said, all truths are easy to understand once they are discovered. The point is to discover them. And I love that so much that I found it on a little tea bag, and I cut it out, and I put it here on my Bible, right? Because <laughs> I go, it was right there. So, uh, because the truth is easy to understand. When I read God's word and I put it into practice, I don't see it in the moment, because that's where the faith comes in. But after I do it, then it's like, oh my gosh, now I understand where God was trying to take me. You know, and if I had stayed in my stubbornness, I wouldn't have gone there. You know, before I read the Bible or understood God's plan for me, I never dated anybody more than three months because, you know, just I did not know how to have a relationship that was with respect uh, and with love and sincerity. And, and it wasn't until I understood God's word that I was able to understand how to have a great relationship. And Mike and I, next month, are going to celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary. So. <laughs> But, you know, that's the power of God's word. There is no way that I would be able to be at this place, um, even my relationship with my children. I'm by far not perfect, but God's word is perfect. And so I know as long as I'm holding to it, I'm reading it, I'm understanding it, um, that, um, that I can have victory uh, with God. But just I just want to say real quick, like, in terms of, of uh, God's, we're not being intuitive. You know, he talks about rejoice in our sufferings. Really, God? Do not judge. Um, God works all things for the good. Really, I'm watching, you know, my child go through surgery. How can this be good? Um, respect my husband, even when he's not being respectable. 
loving my children even when they're not being lovable, <laughs> not being anxious but to pray with thanksgiving, uh, persevere in trials with joy, um, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, um, be still and know that he is God. These are all super challenging for me, but absolutely God's blessing from every time I follow it has been amazing. So I hope that you will dig into your Bible, dig into the word, and just really be amazed at how God moves the heart and, and the way that he's moved my heart. So thanks for letting me share. There's a couple of things I want you to consider, decisions I want you to consider making. Number one is to personally embrace the Bible as the Word of God. The standard for your life, what you believe, how you live. The second is to read, as Christy just said, to, to read and examine God's Word for yourself. And I believe those will be a fantastic blessing for you. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your Word. There are many blessings that we enjoy, and certainly the word that you've left us, this message from you that you've left us, is such a powerful and poignant blessing in our life. Thank you for that, and I pray each one of us here will make the decisions we need to make about using it, learning it, knowing it, and putting it into practice in our life. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Enjoy the rest of your day.